Welcome to Property Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and newsletters, tactics to <laughs> become a successful property investor. Although that is a great segue because I did not know, Charlie. Do we have a newsletter? I thought that's what you were teeing me up for. It is now. What's the URL? I still don't know. Propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. If you do want to get notified every single time we release one of these episodes, head over there, put in your name and email, and we will notify you every single time we drop one. Now, before this gets any worse, Charlie, can you just push that button to get your disclaimer going? It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. I feel like we should double disclaimer this one. Don't, don't Do you know do why? Because people who does. listen to this will they like get banner blindness to the disclaimer a little bit, but they know it's there, but like they don't take it as seriously. But this is one of those ones where we're going to talk specifically about you here. You just bought a property, yes, which is I really did. exciting. I'm jeed up for it. So one of the things that I think makes our show a little bit different and also one of the things that I think is really imperative is that a lot of the people that have, uh, or I will call them like property influencers or wealth influencers, you never hear what they're actually doing. You rarely hear what's going on for them. And in a lot of cases, it's like, oh, cool, you bought property 30 years ago and you've done well. Good on you. (laughs) Well done. What what can I do today? What are you doing today? Because I think that becomes more imperative. So um, it also kind of shows their like belief level, right? If they really believe in property, would they still be doing it? Oh, or would they just become an influencer on it? Yeah. So in today's episode, we're going to do a bit of an unpack on Grant's recent purchase, which I'm excited for because I've intentionally told you not to share a lot of the information with me so that I get it fresh here now. <laughs> no, not for my lack of trying to tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got to think about this, right? It's like if you're going to get orange juice, do you want freshly squeezed or left overnight? But what if the left overnight's like in your hand already poured in the glass and like you're like, nah, I'm going to get the, squish, the freshly squeezed in the morning? I'm going to tell you right now, you have not had enough freshly squeezed orange juice <laughs> if that is how you're answering that question. Freshly squeezed is the way. I'm fantastic. That is the greatest analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> well, that's how we're covering it from here. But I will say that point though, we are going to get real and raw and share the numbers and it's Grant's turn this time. But of course, I'm uh, more than happy to share my next purchases when they do happen or things I do uh, get up to as well, or even retrospectively, if we want to go through some of the other deals we've done. So if you are listening to this right now and would love more of these unpack episodes, please let us know because we very much uh, gauge what we make on what the audience wants from us. I think it's Amen. a really important thing to make content that is helpful for people that are on this journey rather than us just talking about what we want to talk about, Grant. Yeah, agreed. All right, so to put the last bit in, this is not financial advice. Just because Grant made a decision to buy a property does not at all mean it's a great decision for you to do one because of individual circumstance. I doubt highly you are in the same position as Grant or me or a whole bunch of other people, which is why you should... Definitely seek the help of people who know what they're doing um, and definitely not take advice from two idiots who run a podcast and really, well, what more can be said? Especially when they wear the same T-shirt. <laughs> Wait, Lulu? It Lulu. is a Lulu T-shirt. It is like literally Lulu. the same T-shirt. 
Amazing. This is hilarious. Twinning. Oh I will also mention though, we have actually been quite successful in property investing. So like as much as you shouldn't take financial advice from us, a lot of the things we are say are merited. We're not winging it either. Yeah, no, totally. That's it. All right. So f- find cool. a balance. Um, listen, don't sue us in summary. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Please. All right. So let's look at this uh, from here, Grant. So I'm going to start this out um, in a really uh, – let, let's give people a little bit of juice, right? So, what did you buy and where? All right. So I bought a, four, I bought a standalone house on its own block of land, four bedrooms, two bathrooms. It's got a front yard and a backyard and it's in WA. Do you think a lot of people that's all they want to hear? That's what they came from? No, no. No, no numbers yet. Question. No numbers I'm, yet. I know the second question they want. Where? <laughs> I'm trying to bait this right. It's we'll great. share all that later in the episode, but you've got to you've got to listen to the whole episode for that to get that juicy stuff. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. All right. So the the next question I'll ask around that is like, well, why did, why this? Why did you buy it, and why this type of property? Yeah. So first and foremost, the reason that I bought it is for me. I've got a good amount of cash, liquid cash, sitting in bank accounts over and above my emergency fund. And I personally believe that it is not going to be the greatest use sitting in a bank account. And so I'm looking at going, well, in the current environment we have, what is going to be a great asset for me to purchase? And property is one of them. So that's exactly why I said I'm happy and I've got the buffers to weather any storm. And so then I'm like, great, I've got 20% deposits. I can go and pay for the thing, do the thing, and it's ready to rock and roll. Did you have those rules in place prior or are these newly adapted rules? No, so an emergency fund has been in place forever. So emergency fund is just like, imagine I didn't earn anything or something like, I don't know, imagine, I, imagine all my tenants just left. Like how could I just go and pay for the properties and all those kind of things? The emergency fund's always been around and it's in six figures. And for me, 20% deposits has always been my benchmark on every single property because, you know, Charlie, the if property Property prices go up and down like 5%, 10% here and there. Like I just never want to come close to a wipeout event or the bank knocking on my door saying, hey, can you go and put some more cash in? So you've played by your rules then? I have. I've been very – it's actually been quite challenging because I kind of put foot off the accelerator in 2022 when rates started going up and this is my foot back on the accelerator. Because you have played by your rules here, did it give you extra confidence in making the purchase? Totally. You know, you know how many people are like, why are you buying again? Like, you know, rate to go it up. Even, even my lawyer who was signing documents like, you understand the risks here, right? Genuinely like concerned for me. He's like, yeah. and I'm like, it's fine. Like if it drops, it drops. Like trust me. He's like, great. As long as you know what you were doing. Uh, can you pl- can you please do this for me next time someone says that to you right can you, I, I want you to go like this when you go you understand you're putting your limited beliefs <laughs> on me you understand that you're not in my situation and because of the situation you're in you're opposing your opinions and views on me I think what you mean to say is that buying property is risky for you you know you know what uh I, I concur with what you're saying, but I want him to sign another document later. So, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely shouldn't say that, by the way. No, but this is what you've got to be careful, right? It'd be easy to be influenced by your lawyer in this case here, like someone totally. you—he's a confidant, right? Totally. Someone you trust, yep. and yet they're saying that type of thing. 
Really easy for doubt to creep in. Totally. Got to and follow your own plan. Got to have your own rules. Got to get your own advisors and things to make sure that it, you know, potentially the greatest time ever for you to buy property. And that's, that is the component. And so for myself, like when I was sitting there, I, the second, and I remember talking to you about it, the second I'm like, that's it, I'm going again. Um, and we, we literally had that conversation. I was like, dude, I'm like, literally, not, there is nothing I'm more certain about than this is the perfectly right time for me to go again based on where I'm at and where I think this thing's going. How exciting. I am excited for you. I think it's a, a very fun thing. And to be uh, in similar context, I had similar conversations when I was buying during the pandemic. When we started loading up, when I'll say similar circumstance, different, but similar circumstance, right? Where it's like people were really like, oh crap, what's going to happen here? Is like, you got to be very careful of the advice you take on because it's easy to knock you one way or the other. Uh, totally. And yeah, like it's, it's been really interesting, especially when you hear investors that I know and love, like on YouTube, and they're just like, ah, oh, it's like recession, like everything's doomed, everything's going to tank it up. Sit there going, I'm going to buy another investment property. Because <laughs> no, this isn't keeping me up at, at night at all. <laughs> but, this, but that's why, like, to the extent that <clears throat> if I was more aggressive, I would have pulled the trigger a couple of months prior. But I was so risk adverse that I'm just like, cool, let's just stack some cash. And then it's just like this smooth little gradual push on an accelerator. And like, let's just go again. Like I almost waited too long, in my opinion, because I just wanted some more buffer just in case. Can I ask you a question though? Do it. How much sleep have you lost? None. Exactly. <laughs> That's what you're like paying for. Totally. totally. Uh, and like I think this is the point that is so critical here is the idea that when you do follow your rules, when you follow your plan, when you have, you know, almost in your case felt like I've been too conservative, no sleep lost. Exactly. When you break the rules, potentially get excited when Grant's buying property and be like, oh, maybe we should get one too. FOMO, 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 FOMO. Not, not naming anyone. Uh, but it's <laughs> like that. And then you do it is that's when you feel guilt, remorse, sleep at night factor. All the news starts to affect you. Yep. Your psychology ends up messed up. And then before you know it, you're selling your crypto at 50% of a loss. <laughs> Again, not naming anyone. I was going to say. Um, Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> so I think that's really cool. So uh, in the idea of this, how does this property fit into your bigger plan here? Because I doubt you're just like, oh, yeah, let's get another one. No, it was, it was basically that. No, it's the, <laughs> the way that it fits into the plan. Uh, so our goal has typically been cash flow. So I want to go and hit 120K gross cash flow or net cash flow from a property perspective, gross from my personal income a year from the property portfolio. However, this one is fo actually focused on growth. So Ooh. I thought you might like that one. Why? All right. So I have had our buyer's agent look at other properties for me to potentially purchase that were high yields, Charlie. And comparative to the financing that's available, like it's just, it's just not a good deal. Hang like on, so are, the cash flow isn't cash flow? It's not cash flow positive. And I'm like, if I'm going for a, if I'm foregoing growth for high cash flow, which means I could get one or the other, imagine like it was that, that firm. I'm like, the benefit's not there unless it's like paying for itself. And so I've gone the other way on saying, that's fine. I, I now know how to play this game. I will go for growth because I think, in my opinion, again, not financial advice for anyone, that is where a good opportunity exists because there's not as many, in my opinion, there's not as many investors looking around for negative 
the sort of geared properties, albeit I'll talk to you about how I'm approaching that in a second. Um, and I think there's going to be some huge growth plays in some very upcoming suburbs. And so I said, I think this is the way I'm going to play it, where I'm going to utilize growth through equity as opposed to cash flow positiveness. I love this. You've been what I'll call tactically and even a little bit strategically flexible, still going for the North Star, right? The goal hasn't changed. It's just because the environment has presented other things. Completely. You've decided to be adaptable rather than remaining fixed. Yeah. Like I, I can't remember who originally said this, but there was a guy that said, he's like, I reserve the right to change my opinion at any point and then my activity is based on that. And I just think that is such a powerful mindset as an investor because if in your case here, you would – I'm only doing cash flow properties. You know, the environment always has to support that. Interest rates have to support that. When it doesn't, what do you do? Yep. And that, correct. But it's like, it's it's still heading to the same direction, same outcome. Like I'm still going from Melbourne to Sydney, but there's just different freeways and back roads and everything like that I can take. And it just looked to me that one of the freeways was blocked. So I'm like, that's fine. I'll just go over there. Like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not firm on that for freeway. I'm not going to wait until that thing's unblocked. That's fine. I'll just go a different way. So what does that mean for you? Potentially bought a growth property here that you may sell this one down in the future to pay off a high yielding property to jack your cash flow then or something like that. Exactly. That is exactly where it's at. So it's the end game just slightly tweaks for this particular property, but if it fits inside the overall strategy of just going, well, that's the goal. I can just get there a couple of different ways. So yeah, sell it down at some point, pay off, uh, pay down debt on other high cash flow properties. Now, you kind of hinted at this one, and I maybe should have asked this earlier in the conversation, but it sounds like you're using a buyer's agent and you've got your team in force. You're not picking properties yourself. Yeah, totally. So I've got buyer's agent in, i got accountant all connected. Uh, I've also got mortgage broker um, who we've, we've spoken to quite a few on this podcast. Awesome. So same team, no changes to the team? No team, no sub-ins, nothing, same team. They're still going strong. Have they performed well? <sighs> yes, although our <laughs> bank's not performing very well. <laughs> <laughs> but banks like kind of like an extension of one of my teams. <laughs> All right, but, so let's let's rock into another one. Uh, what number purchases is for you just for context? Uh, so in Australia, properties in Australia, this is number four. All right, number four. Wow, I do that. All right, let's go into some of the juicy stuff now. How much was it? Uh, it was. So this here's another thing that was crazy. So they were looking for offers above like 500 and we actually dude it was a it was a buying frenzy like it was insane and i just wanted to mop the floor with everybody <laughs> so we got it at, we got it at 5 30 so we actually paid above what it was asking like was that the strategy on. go in with an above offer so that you just get top of the pile dude places like houses coming up for sale in this location were like disappearing in days like single digit days and so it was either like you, you're going in there to mop everybody else out or someone else who's got like a killer relationship or some kind of in or something like that will just take it from you. So what was it what was it listed for? 500. 500. And they were, so it started like offers above. Right. One of those ones. <laughs> one of those ones. You know, the yeah, option. Have you ever thought about this though? If you're buying a good property, like what's 10 grand in the scale of things? What's or 30 the, or 50? And that was the thing. And I, I looked at this and I'm like, this thing is freaking pristine it is an amazing suburbs like it, it is just incredible i'm like i want it it's going to add value to my portfolio who cares about a couple of thousand bucks all right so we've it. gone wa 530 we've gone in over yep. why wa like i this is one of those potentially like polarizing questions because in the investor camps you've got people that's like east coast or die 
Um, yep. It is what it is. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people saying that Perth's the greatest opportunity ever because it's so uh, the value of property there dropped so much after the mining boom. But then the East Coasters say, well, that's the risk. It's a you know, it's a very, very, what do they call it, volatile market. So totally. why WA for you? Okay, so there are a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the first one was um, I, I personally believe that I'm a little bit overexposed in the East Coast, primarily in Queensland. So I'm like, I just don't – I with what they were talking about with like potential land tax changes and stuff like that, um, I'm just like, look, I'm just too overexposed. I want to take a little bit more of a risk-off approach. Like, let's go somewhere else. Interesting. So diversification is high up on the list here. Completely. And then uh, the price – so I wanted to pay – I wanted a property – between 400 to 700 and that kind of cuts me out of most of new south wales and vic unfortunately which is fine it is what it is and so then you really kind of go to the other states and there's like only what like three other states four other states to go for (laughs) so by process of pure elimination it's like well then where's going to be the best capital growth for people uh and the data from uh, the buyer's agent just suggested like this location in wa is is primed for it so data focused as well being Completely. this is a property you might potentially sell, we've mentioned this earlier, Is it's there. How did you assess this from view? Was this something where it's like uh, I put in the intent where this is something I could sell, I don't know, five or ten years from now? Was that thinking in the decision then? Totally. So it was, it was a part of it. But even to that extent, like I'm completely fine with things changing. So I will hold on to this for a very long period of time. Like talking maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe maybe 30 years. Like I don't think I'll need to sell this down. However, the equity that this will grow, like it will increase in value and my ability to use that cash elsewhere or otherwise to pay down things or do whatever I want is just optionality for me. Like I know how to play this a couple of different ways and it just gives me the option for it. Now to come back to your other question around like how is this slightly different when I look at the property, I'm like this is more near good schools, near great shopping centres, near the beach. Uh, this is like a prime for young families, like even for myself and Hazel. I'm like, I could totally live here. <laughs> it was like this. Well, it, that this comment, we've got to pause there. I uh, went to a mastermind in Perth not long ago. I say it was like, was it December? Some, it somewhere around December, November, end of November, start of December. Somewhere around there and it's like, I think a lot of people have this perception of what Perth is that haven't actually been there. And every time I go there, I'm like, I could live here. It's so uh, beautiful as a city. And then when you look at what you can get in ways of value for a home, like you're talking this right now of spending like $500,000 on a home, five hundred thirty to be exact. Yep. Um, how far is this from Perth City, like central CBD? It's like 20, 25-minute drive. Okay, so you can get a property 20 to 25 minutes away from Perth CBD on a beachside location where it's sunny a lot of the year. Just for anyone playing at home, fun fact, in Melbourne we get 43 sunny days a year. In Perth, they get 133. That's the historical average. So for anyone wondering how much sunnier is it in Perth than in Melbourne, that much. And yes, I did look at it in my considerations. How much does the Premier pay you to say that on a podcast? (laughs) Do I need to disclose that I'm a Perth bull? I think I should disclose this. You totally should. But this is leading me to the question is like, I find that I am very attractive to the narrative of Perth, and it is a narrative and opinion. I don't. Um, I'm not going to say it's a fact. Where do you stack up on this? Is that from an investment thesis? Are you looking at the value proposition of Perth for yourself, and that's what you're getting behind, or is there another factor like mining? Yeah. So I, I this I don't invest based on swings and sort of one-off events. Like I'm I'm a 
do I see this thing sitting in my portfolio until the end of days, even if it doesn't, like even if this thing doubles and I sell it to pay down debt elsewhere, like that's fine. It is what it is when that happens. But every time I buy a property, it's like, is this asset going to sit in my portfolio for the next 30 years? And this was this one. I'm like, I see similar to you. I just, I'm not as bullish as you are on the growth of Perth. I think it will grow. Um, and I think it's got so much appeal to people who are moving to Australia, but also to people who are in Australia. And it's only going to get more opportunities with greater schools, greater work, et cetera. And I just go, I think there's going to be good growth over a period of time. I think with the immigration we're bringing in, with the challenges around building and all these things, I'm like, people are get, going to naturally need to go to places that are thoroughly appealing. And the bench, like the barrier to entry between East and West is just broken or is about to be broken and people will just go, cool, I'm happy No, it's for broken. It. We can call it broken. You cool. can't it's live 20 minutes within uh, Melbourne CBD in a house of the quality of the one. For, I have seen a photo, right? For half a mil. No, it <laughs> like, doesn't exist. But, and so so that's my point, which is like, I'm like, this is just a point where people like even myself go, WA, huh? I got to pay two million bucks to replace in Melbourne to, <laughs> to get something similar. And I'm like, well, that is the equivalence. Yeah. You know, it, I was going to have it at three times, but four sounds better for this podcast. Uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of where it's at because, and then the data supported it as well as my personal logic kind of supported it. I'm like, dude, I'm in. Let's go. I think a little thing I'll throw in on Perth as well, just for another fun fact, is, um, and this seems odd, but it's their incomes are higher because of the jobs over there in like mining, yep. particularly. So there's actually better markets to support higher levels of rent. So it's interesting that we would consider that, in my opinion, again that. Perth's kind of better set up to survive housing and rental and being able to afford to pay landlords versus in Melbourne where if someone's got an astronomical mortgage, they could fall into quite easily into a place where they're not able to afford their cost of living. Like The ratio is very, very interesting there. I find that point absolutely fascinating. I, really totally. do. I, I don't think it's going to get to a point where people are completely priced out anytime soon, maybe in the future, but anytime soon. I just don't think it's going to happen. Keeps it keeps things interesting in a huge way from there. So enough of Charlie the Perth, uh, the, the Perth, Perth bull. bull. <laughs> Side note: If I could happily live there, if anyone in Perth, which I know a few people who live in Perth, listen to this podcast, just know I'm on your side. <laughs> Charlie loves you. I do. I absolutely love Perth. Fantastic wine, good beaches. I think the beach. I'll say it, the beaches are better. You know, the greatest sell that real estate in Perth has is that every single photo, it's a sunny day. And it's just so so frustrating. Well, when 143 or 133 <laughs> days are sunny, chances are, you know, you're going to get a sunny day to take some photos, right? And you get us in like Melbourne with listings where like the, the photoshoppers are like putting in like a sunny day and like putting all the lights on in the house. I think you've got to go the opposite in Melbourne. You want to take a photo on a shit day and just have the headline, we know the weather's shit, you're here for the people and food. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, anyway, all right, let's talk more about the details of this property here. So we know the price is at yeah. $5.30. Um, let's talk about the rental yield next. Like what type, what's the expectation here? Awesome. So let me pull up the spreadsheet on this one just so that I've got it for you. Yeah, because people will fact check this. It just just make sure that I've got it. I was going to make sure I can find it on the spreadsheet. Why Grant's taking a moment. Charlie will do another fun fact on Perth. Just so people know, one of the things I find really interesting in a difference between Queensland and Western Australia is based on uh, things like rates and insurances. If you buy a property in Perth that's, uh, let's say, 6% yield, if you have one in Queensland at about a 7.5% yield, you actually net out the same difference. 
roughly, which I found interesting. interesting. So holding costs in WA are a little bit lower, which means that things like uh, yields, even if Grant mentions a lower number when he eventually gets there, might be better than we think on the surface. 5.8. Wow, 5.8. Not far off the 6, which I thought would be close on that type of property. Good good feel. I was going to say, you know this market well. <laughs> May have spent a bit of time looking at Perth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so it's uh, 5.8%. Yeah, so again, if I saw a property in Queensland at like 7.2, I would say you'd probably net out about the same would be my equivalence of looking at it, which people don't consider or look at. Totally. And it's like that's why every time someone talks to me about like gross yield, I'm like, where is it? Like it's such impactful because I've got I've already also got another place in WA. And I, it was the biggest eye-opener when I'm like, wow, insurance and council rates and everything, just fundamentally different here. Yeah, and also wear and tear. So properties in Queensland because of the weather, right, and um, – just events they have, whether it's rain or uh, humidity, they age differently. Yep. Or if you've got property in Perth in a lower humidity environment with less weather swings or temperature swing, less maintenance. Mm. So I, all those things. I've had less possums too. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> all right, so yields coming out from there. What about the size of the land? Tell me more about the property. Give us more of the numbers. All right, cool. So the size of the land is just like a couple of meters, square meters short of 600. So call it 600. Is there development opportunity or not really? No, there's not. Not really. It's um, it's kind of set in the middle of the block. So it's actually got a decent front yard and it's got a massive like, big backyard. Um, and then the house is quite large as well. So the house is four four bedrooms, two bathrooms. It's got like a two cars out the front of the garage, two cars in the garage, and you can park some stuff down the back as well. I dig it. Let's dig more into these things from here. So the asset was 530. Yep. Our rental yield is 5.8. Yep. Let's talk about putting this together. So you've already kind of indicated a little bit with your plan you did a 20% deposit. Yep. If this all came together, how much deposit and like cost to get into this all came to be? Yeah, perfect. So all of the costs together, I'm just going to load it up for you. So uh, the deposit at settlement is going to be, call it 100,000. It's 95,400. Stamp duty is about 20 grand. So it's 19,200 to be specific. Uh, and then like conveyancing and all that kind of stuff, a couple of grand on top of it. So all in all, that sits at about 130. 130 to get in? Yep. And then, and then you've got your um, like your buyer's agent and all those kind of things sort of stacked on top. So call it about, I think we'll close out across the top of that with insurance um, and all of the other things, probably like 150 ish. All right, so it's a one fifty to get into a five hundred and thirty thousand dollars property. Noting about fifty of that is taken up in stamp duty, buyer's agent fees, and everything else, and insurance and all that stuff. Yes. So that's evaporated costs. Is there any improvements that need to be done, or is it a, a new property? Yeah, so it's a, it's really interesting. So there were a couple of um, not structural defects, but like some things, like a beam that was like rotten. Um, there was a story about something which I'll tell in a second. Like just the typical maintenance things, like there were some cables that were exposed behind an air conditioner and stuff. And we actually didn't expect the seller to actually go and fix them all. So we did. Wow, you've totally bought off an owner-occupier. Dude, and so we did a building and pest and we also did a plumbing, gas and electrical inspection. So two like full-on inspections and sent a list of like 11 items back. And they're like, yeah, sure, no worries, no, we'll fix them all. Like literally all of them getting fixed uh, beforehand. And so <laughs> it was actually really interesting as uh, we had an inspector go out before we bought the house. Like we're like, cool, here's the offer. Let's go and uh, inspect the house before we like lock in um, our commitment to purchase it. And on this video walkthrough, as he as they went down the backside of the house, you see, you hear this lady in the background of the video go, 
is that a wasp's nest? <laughs> That's what <laughs> you want to like, hear in your video, right? <laughs> yeah. And so then I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a wasp's nest, which like no one picked up on. And so then I'm just like pinged the buyer's agent. I'm like, hey, are you going to get that wasp's nest fixed? And like, what wasp's nest? And I'm like, oh, go to 20, one minute and 20 seconds on this video and you'll hear a lady talk about it. Like, yeah. So they put in like, you have to remove the wasp's nest. And they're like, yeah, sure. No, we'll remove the wasp's nest. <laughs> I actually love buying property off um, owner-occupiers versus investors because yeah. I feel like the investor is always trying to spend the least to look after the property. Not always, but in a lot of cases where often a lot of house-proud people will make sure a property is well-maintained. So you can offer it up in a really uh, just a little thing. It's not always true, but it's something I pay attention to. Um, All right. So it sounds like it's pretty good to go. Like if they're the types of things you're dealing with, this is a a well-established home. Have you looked at how this is being financed? So when you've done this, uh, well, I'll even go further. Take me through some of the details here. In what structure have you bought this? And potentially share a little bit of the reason for yourself in that. Let's start with that one. Actually, that's a good one question. Awesome. So- not financial advice at all, more transparency of my personal situation, how I'm going about it, is I have bought this property in a new trust. So I set up a new trust and then buying the property within that trust. Now, the structure of the mortgage for financing that I'm putting into this is with it being 20% deposit, so it's 80%. It is interest only for, I believe, up to five years at the moment. Um, And it's going to sit at around about 4.5% interest rate. Oh, interesting. Did you fix the interest rate or go variable? No, I went. I did go variable. So, why, Grant? <laughs> because I feel as though it's going to top out, and I've so all budgets etc. have already factored in seven percent interest rates. So I'm I'm factoring in like an increase of like one and a bit percent. Interesting. So we did like structures particularly is very personalized because buying in a trust or personal name can affect things massively there. And I think that's underappreciated. There's times, and I've done this, where I want to buy assets in personal name for like the negative gearing benefits. Totally. Or there's times where I want to put a property in its own trust because it's like got risk or may affect other uh, taxations and things which you want to take up with people who can help advise you on there. You mentioned 4.65% on interest rate here. And then you've also mentioned 5.8 on uh, like yield. Is this property cash flow positive? Yeah. So, so the interest rate was 5.65. 5.65. Apologies. 5.65. Glad we cleared no, no. that up. No, that's fine. Uh, so the property itself is actually negatively geared. So the outgoing – and so it's just negatively geared based on the current interest rate. So uh, the way that I'm approaching this – is I'm just going to load up cash within the offset account until it is just a bit positive. So literally I've got like $80,000 sitting there waiting for me to go and move it into the offset account for that property, which will turn it into being negative into a decently positive, positively cash flow property. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't aware of that kind of little play there, which I think we've unpacked on another episode when we spoke about- um, We have, but we should do it again. Offset accounts. Yeah, so one of the things in a trust structure, again, got to be careful, I can't give this advice, but you can't actually negatively gear. The losses are carried forward within a trust, depending on the trust and a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it. But if you've got an offset account, you can load up that offset account with cash and then lower the interest. So if you don't want to do that, you could potentially keep the property positive geared, noting you have opportunity cost with the, t- the cash that's sitting within that account, right? Because that could be a deposit for another property potentially. Totally. Um, with what's going on in Perth, though, it wouldn't surprise me that this doesn't stay negatively geared for long. So we're, a huge assumption here, let's say rates stay where they are or close to it. 
But with where rents are going, have you projected forward in the idea of that a few years from now, this may actually cover itself? Four years is my estimation. Interesting. Uh, you were well prepared for that. I didn't actually <laughs> did expect little. you to be that. I was like, I'm going to have to store for another second year. No, four years. I know exactly where it's at. <clears throat> and that, and by the way, that is worst case scenario if rates do bump up to like a 7%. So like if it doesn't, dude, it's like down to two years or something. Like it's like crazy. Has this property, because of the nature of it being a little bit running at a loss here or negatively geared to its proposed idea, has this affected your borrowing that it's going to stop you from making any plays in the short term? Yeah. So because of the amount of debt that I have now, which is in seven figures, like decently above into seven figures, um, it is going to have an impact on certain banks. And this was one of the big conversations that I had with my mortgage broker on going, great, I've got most of my places in trusts, which is great because some banks do not look at the debt within trusts. Again, some banks. So say you're just dropping absolute grenades everywhere today. <laughs> yeah, I'm like- Not financial advice, not financial not advice. Totally. And so it's like, great. So I understand that there are opportunities that I cannot get for financing, but- from a personal borrowing capacity, for some banks, I still have it. And we've confirmed it as well. So it should not impact. I look at this right now, man, and this is purely speculation and opinion, which is why we do this podcast. I was going to say, let's this go for it from here. It's like, I actually think you've achieved a very reasonable cash flow scenario as well. Like, I know this is a growth property you've mentioned it, but when I'm kind of mentally looking at it, a four year turn cycle for this thing to be positive doesn't sound that bad to me, especially when you've got the ability to put some money in an offset account to avoid some of the tax things there. Well, I look at it and go, you might be a little bit impacted on borrowing, but it's not massive. Like how much per week are we down here? Uh, so this would be sitting uh, after I, so if I imagine I didn't put any cash into yeah, that's offsets and imagine that it just sat at that 5.65%, uh, it's at about two and a half K a month. Two and a half K a month negatively geared overall. Are you sure on that? I feel like you should rerun those numbers. I'm going to triple check the numbers for you. Yeah, three. Sorry, three. Just to clarify, per month when you're running these numbers, how much? Oh, sorry, per year. My apologies. I was going to say, there's no way it is that much. I'm like, uh, let's work through this here. 250 a month. That was it. I had had an extra zero. Way better. I had an extra zero, so 250 a month. All right, and then we break that down into four. Like you're not even a hundred dollars a week. No, no, it's like seventy bucks a week, give or take. Yeah. So when you look at that against your rents going up seventy dollars a week, especially in the cycle we're in now, that's not a big bridge to to really cross at all. Which I just think is uh, fantastic there. But it was. Uh, yeah, go on. Do you see any risks with this property? Like, is there anything you're trying to navigate or kind of cover against? Yeah. So. I think that there is a greater macro risk to the point that we were talking about at the start of the episode of just things just changing. The world economy are falling apart. <laughs> totally. And like that is probably the one thing that keeps my one of my eyes open, just going, oh, I just need to go into this with that awareness. As for the property itself, I'm like, the, the, the logic that sits on it, half a million dollar place, basically close to the beach, close to great schools, close to all these things, I'm like, this, like you can't, rebuild this house for that <laughs> like you didn't like you genuinely do you know what that's a whole interesting conversation in itself right is that legitimately right now you can buy properties where the value of the building you couldn't rebuild it for that cost because how much things have gone up so you're kind of making money on it although i do question what's going to happen with insurance around that 
totally. because you have to have cost of repair to come through it. But it's an interesting ideation even in itself. It was actually funny. One of my places in Queensland, like I did insurance calculation and it's like, no, the rebuild cost is like doubled. And I'm like, no, just drop it. I don't want to pay that much in insurance. <laughs> I hope nothing happens to the property. <laughs> I'm like, But it wouldn't actually let me drop it. I was like, no, it's, it's firm. Um, so then coming back to your question around like what else do I see as a risk here? So macro is probably the biggest biggest risk that I see outside of that. Like this thing will just potter along and like worst case, it'll drop 5%, maybe 10%. But I'm like 20% deposit, cash and offsets. I'm like, really, this thing's not going to have too much of an impact for me, even if it takes me a double eight years for it to become positively geared itself. Like worst case scenario is thrown all left, right and center. I'm like, this still just, stacks up for benefiting as me. Yeah, even play that out though. Let's really go through that. I think the thing that's often forgotten here is that you could quite easily earn money, restructure the loan, putting a deposit in and make it positively geared if you really want to. Totally. We don't have to be self-reliant on the idea of this property must pay for itself from the income that comes with it. There's things that could come through it. The other side of it is when you start building a portfolio, you may not get any rental growth on this one. But one of your other ones gets immense rental growth and that ends up being the thing that helps cover the whole thing. So while we look at the micro of the individual property, in the set of a portfolio, especially when you start getting to this size, you almost have to think of it as like one big property and go, how does it all play together? It's just that I have tenants in separate states. Well, and that was, so that was the thing. So literally the cash for me to put into the offset is coming from a very high positive cash flowed property (laughs) that's just got higher positive cash flow because it's got cash in an offset. So I was like, well, I'm just going to move that cash instead of being in not that offset to this new property's offset. And I'm like, that's it. So this thing's, this property, uh, which is in Queensland, is still washing its own face, still making money, doing its thing. And I've just utilized that cash, moving it from one bank account to another bank account to make this other property wash its own face and do its own thing. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like the rental yield on my portfolio is still going up. Right, yep. Rents are going up significantly across what I've got. If I was to make a purchase today and do something similar to you where it's like it's a growth play here, I've been really thinking about the idea that mentally, if the rents are over here growing, am I happy to take the wins from those rents and put it into a loss over here? Like knowing that I might lose $100 a week on a property, hypothetically. Or what is it, $100,000 a week on a property? <laughs> But it's like the idea being that it's like once you've got a few in your portfolio and they start compounding in, you can use the wins in your portfolio to kind of, you know, propel you into the next one here. Like a lot of people speak about the idea of using equity. Like they take the equity from a previous property to be the deposit on the next. But very rarely do you hear people talk about the idea of, well, what about these rental yields? Like can you take the wins in these rental yields and use it to propel you to keep your overall position maybe cash flow neutral while you want to keep expanding. And I think there's a lot of uh, great opportunity to do that once you get kind of the wheel of compound working in your favor. And I think like one of the things for myself is I enjoy what I do for work. And so it's not like I need an escape right now. And so personally, I'm like, this is completely fine. I don't need to extract cash flow every single month in order for me to pay utility bills and food bills and things like that. And again, my situation. So I'm like, this is fine. I'm happy to go. What a terrible idea buying gross properties if you need to pay grocery bills. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't so, do but, that at all. But totally. And so, but then it comes back to personal situation. Like I'm not near like a retirement age. I'm not near trying to like do nothing. Like it's just like, cool. I'm just in this accumulation stage 
have gone, let's let these things compound and it's still cash flow positive across the entire portfolio, which means risk is greatly minimized. As All well. right, so let's go to the next part. We've unpacked the property, you know, the why. We've spoken about some of the mechanics, the area, things that have come into it from here. L- let's go planning forward here because in doing this purchase, you know, rates have gone up again. If people come and talk about, you know, where we're at for you personally, they may have listened to your property goals episode and, you know, Grant's doing an accumulator run this year, yep. which for anyone who hasn't listened just means he's trying to well, basically buy four properties in one year. It's gone hard based on his personal situation from here. Just being a degenerate. Based on how this one's gone, are you still on track for the plan? Like are things holding water or is any adjustment being made? So the things are still going to plan. The one thing I was fascinated about uh, on this property was the banks are so slow now. Like, And so just to articulate the point, two business days out of settlement, the bank, and I won't name which bank, basically said, no, you need eight extra documents. And it wasn't because the, the credit rating thing flagged. It was the personal assessor was just like, I don't want to put my name against that. Wait, so the personal assessors looked at Mr. Grant Mariel here and said, I don't like this guy. Completely. Risky. completely. And so they're like, what do you mean? They're like, like your credit things all checked. I don't know, man. I work with you a lot. I can understand. <laughs> Maybe they talked to you. Maybe they did a reference check. You ruined me. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, like looking at this, uh, I see this as a potential leading indicator of maybe they're still trying to clamp down on borrowing. And so, maybe I might come up against a challenge on borrowing. I don't think I will. I, I earn good, and the property portfolio overall is great. Like most people would want it. But I'm like, maybe the banks are just going to go super slow and that's actually going to impact my ability to accumulate more because I'm so dependent upon borrowing in order for me to do this accumulator. Um, but I'm still hopeful in the sense that, no, they're going to ease up a little bit on like their risk assessment and these personal opinions on risk assessment. And obviously, they, this girl doesn't want to lose her job if I don't pay for things and stuff like that, right? I, and- I, I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to say she's not making the rules. She's only following what gets updated every month. Now, just consider this. With what's going on in the world, if you were a bank, would you start being more picky about the type of loans you took on? Totally. It's not just the amounts, right? It's also who's doing the lending. Totally. And so, but this comes back to it where like I can only play the game as best as possible with the people and that I have to deal with. And unfortunately, I have to deal with banks a lot <laughs> in this game. And so I'm like, so if the banks are tightening their purse strings, then I'm like, that's what I'm dependent on. So I'm hopeful that it doesn't happen, but I'm still on the on the run for my accumulator of like 1.5 to 2 mil this year. And so this is half a mil in, Charlie. So I'm a quarter of the way there. Uh, it's just going to be dependent upon how the bank's looking. Interesting. Finance is still such a critical part of this going well, isn't it? What is it? Can't live with them? Can't live without them? I don't know. I'm still of the view that I want to get to the place in my life where I don't need the banks. I can just be a cash buyer because they're <laughs> that painful to deal with. Um, it was yes, I have witnessed that. It was, it was like nine p.m. at night as I'm like collating these documents for him. I'm like, oh man. Do you know something I find even more interesting on that is I think, or I would have thought with rates going up so much is that they might actually be not as busy right now. I would have thought there would have been capacity, but I suspect there's a lot of refinancing going on and a lot of things like this where they're tightening and there's actually more time getting spent per loan, being extra picky. Well, so in- it doesn't. I mean, it is interesting, but it doesn't surprise me they're being more picky. And then throw the layer of it being in a trust as well. 
and <laughs> having other that. properties and stuff. So like there's so many layers and I, I get it and I understand it. as much as it frustrates me, but it's like it's a better life. I play, right? Like I know going in and getting borrowing on a trust, a property that's going to be in a trust is always going to be eating glass, but the benefit on the other side for me and what I'm trying to do is always better. I feel like when you go to a bank and say, I want to use a trust, they take it as a sign not to trust this guy. And, uh, <laughs> what are you hiding? What are you trying to get away from? Uh, this guy must be a politician. Is there anything else you would like to share on this property? Otherwise, let's wrap this one up. Nah, I'm, uh, I'm again, I'm super bullish. I'm excited. I'm actually mentally I've moved on from this purchase and I'm like already on to the next one. I was going to say, are you considering the next one then? <laughs> totally. I already am. I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, cool. This one's like settling in and doing its thing. I'm like, all right, where's the next one? When are we going to push the button again? Ooh, any hints? You're going to have to uh, listen to the uh, episode. Uh, uh, I was going to say, so, don't give it away. Do you like this? I'm, dude, I'm happy to tell you. However, if you want to find out, Head over to propertyinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter, put in your name and email, and maybe sometime very soon I will elaborate as to how I'm playing this and what my next move might be. Maybe. Anyone would swear we planned that outro with such a cliffhanger. That just happened at the moment. I love it. It's a special episode. Totally do it. Thanks again for joining us. We'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.